welcome to Estate Matters, the podcast brought to you by Core Communications, the country's leading public relations agency specialising in landed estates and rural businesses. We work with clients across the UK to raise awareness and nurture support and advocacy for their work. This podcast is all about discussing the challenges they face and how effective communications can help. I'm your host, Anna Biles, a broadcaster of nearly 20 years and now a rural affairs specialist at Core Communications. In this episode of Estate Matters, we're joined by Steve Strang. Steve is the Executive Director of Estates and Sustainability at Exeter College, Devon's only Ofsted Outstanding Further Education College. He's played a key role in the formation and now the execution of the college's 20-year master plan to redevelop its main campus in the city centre. Welcome to Estate Matters, Steve. Thank you. I'm also joined by Andrew Howard from CORE. Hello. In this episode, we're going to discuss urban master planning in education settings and the importance of engaging with and gaining the support of local communities as early as possible in the process. But first, Steve, I always like to get to know our podcast guests a little bit better. So tell us how long you've been at Exeter College and what led you to your position here. I've been with Exeter College just over the 18 years now. And what brought me here was probably, maybe some might think, a bit of a, a different route to Estates Matters. I'm actually an electronics engineer by trade and spent many years in the civil service before joining Exeter College, taking on a variety of roles, which luckily enough took me all around the world to see sort of different uh, places and work in different areas that maybe I wouldn't normally get to access or see as a civilian. So I had some sort of great life experience as well as uh, sort of business industry and kind of work experience throughout that career in the civil service. And latterly in the civil service, I was a property manager through Defence Estates. And that's kind of what led me to the college and what I saw at the time was a very kind of exciting opportunity to join a college in the sort of city that I had I sort of made my home in the southwest, and I guess it must have been quite exciting because I'm still here 18 years (laughs) or so later. So I guess that must say something about the role and kind of what we do. So that was 18 years ago. Now you've been here all that time, and I know your role has changed over that 18 years. What do you most enjoy about your role and working here at Exeter College? I think for me it's probably the variety of the role. As you say, it's changed many, many times over the years and uh, the sort of portfolio that we have as a college has grown over the years. The number of students that we support through college has grown over the years and that's led inevitably to changes in the role. And it's a bit of a cliche, but no two days are ever the same. Uh, And it's kind of what I love about the job. What are the biggest challenges? And I expect to hear something different. Other, Other guests on Estate Matters have largely been from rural estates or work with rural estates. So we're talking here in an education setting and in an urban environment environment what makes that challenging about your role one of the biggest challenges is probably our location as well as one of the biggest benefits so you were very well connected public transport wise so very good in terms of sustainable transport environmental sort of aspects but also very challenging because we're in a city center uh, largely our estate is in a city centre, so you're kind of landlocked. And as you've got a growth in terms of student numbers and maybe staff, 
that brings with it the challenges of how do we develop the estate? How do we ensure our accommodation is of a suitable kind of volume and also a suitable standard then when you're in a city centre and maybe the room for growth and expansion may not be as obvious as you might find on an estate that's uh, perhaps outside of the city centre where you've got lots of land for development, etc. We we don't have that in the city centre locations. So that's one of the, the challenges. I think maybe another one is the, the integration within the community and uh, making sure that you know, our activities, you know, we're firmly embedded in the community uh, and that we, we make sure that we look after our sort of community partners uh, and everything that kind of surrounds us and our location. You know, we've got private residences, we've got businesses uh, all around us and making sure that we can work with them on the developments and, to be honest, the day-to-day activities of the college site and making sure that we can work with them. We'll move on in a minute to talk a bit about the master plan and how you've you've kept those communities on board. But obviously you do talk about the college as an estate and that might surprise some people that A, you would class yourself as an estate, but also that you, you are an estate director. People often think about those in a rural setting. Why does the college have a need for your job role? Before I joined Exeter College, I, I didn't quite understand the, the sheer diverse range of curriculum that we offer. So we have everything from, you know, art and design to to A levels to engineering to aerospace engineering to carpentry to brickwork, etc. So it's such a diverse range of curriculum that that we provide for uh, for Exeter and the sort of wider Devon uh, and wider Southwest area. We need all sorts of different facilities, buildings practical workshops, theory classrooms, theatre spaces, just a huge variety of space is housed in different sorts of buildings, different areas. So it needs a a kind of an approach that looks at it as a a whole estate. It's not just square classrooms. There's a lot more to it than, than that. And essentially, that is what the master plan is all about. So it's a 20 year master plan. Now, I know it's a a big document, a big plan. But if in a nutshell you can tell us what that master plan is for and what's in it. Yeah, sure. Uh, I'll try. Uh, <laughs> as you say, it's a big document. Uh, a lot of work went into it. Basically, what it seeks to try and set out is our vision for the estate across all of our sites and across all of the sort of campus areas. We have circa uh, 13 sites, 25 buildings across Exeter. You know, it's quite a large estate. It's important that we have a coherent and kind of well thought through approach about how we manage those buildings and how we think about uh, how we're going to accommodate the one potential growth in students uh, and two maybe changes in the curriculum. So the master plan sits alongside our strategic plan, alongside the college strategic plan and seeks to ensure that the estate and the facilities we provide are kind of fit for purpose but will also help uh, deliver our strategic plan and our curriculum strategy because they kind of work hand in glove. You know, you can't have one without the other. So the master plan takes a look at all of our sites um, and looks at its existing condition of the buildings. Uh, we grade them from sort of grade A to, uh, to category or grade D and you look at the condition of the building. So grade A is kind of brand new, top notch. Uh, grade D, I would say, is sort of inoperable and in need of replacement uh, as soon as possible. So it looks to address those sort of needs and set the vision for how we do, how practically we would address those sort of space needs and the need to invest in it. 
It then also looks at the, the level of investment that, was, that would be needed. So it gives us an idea for financial planning um, around how we would seek to deliver those improvements in the estate, be that through our own kind of funding and our own sort of methods or through uh, government grant applications, things like that, uh, that we would look at for investment in the estate. So all of it seeks to align with the curriculum strategy and ensure we've got the right facilities in the right place at the right time to deliver the curriculum. Now, 20 years sounds like a, a seriously long-term plan, but you're basing that on things like birth rates, aren't you? So you know roughly how many students you're going to get in 18 or 20 years' time. Absolutely. So we uh, work very closely with our partners at Devon County Council and Exeter City Council around that sort of planning process and looking at the demographic and the potential uh, student numbers and how they would naturally uh, kind of grow over the coming years. So we factor that into the uh, sort of decision making and the master planning process. And although it's a 20 year document, it's not a fixed document. It has to be maintained live, uh, if you like. And every time we make an improvement and a development, you should look at your master plan again and reassess where it is. In that dialogue with our sort of partners at, at Devon and the city is making sure that we keep an eye on that demographic and the trends that are coming through, the development that's going on around the city with lots of housing development, new towns, etc., coming on. Potentially that leads to more growth with students who may wish to access the college and come to us for their kind of post-16 sort of education. So we need to be mindful of that and factor that into some of the master planning process. And Andrew, as a public affairs specialist, how important is it that a plan of this long spans 20 years is communicated properly with the local community? Steve mentioned there the, the situation of the college right in the city centre, wrapped around lots of other businesses and housing. Why is it so important that the local community understand what, what the college are trying to do? And first of all, it's important the community understands just the benefits the college brings to the city. And I know that they were very keen to stay in the city centre, a lot of establishments have moved out to edge of town sites, as Steve said, because they've got lots of space. And that, that might be great for a lot of reasons, but equally you're taking an awful lot of young people and spending power out of the city centre. And you're potentially increasing the carbon footprint because so many people come here by train or bus, by bike, which is relatively easy into the city centre. Whereas out of town, you're probably going to have constrained routes, probably no railway station, probably not that many bus routes so you're just adding to to all sorts of social issues so that the financial and social benefits of the of the college being literally in the heart of the city are immense for exeter and if the college had followed that other route exeter would have, would have lost out in so many ways and that city center location brings with it a huge number of stakeholders you know when, when we're looking at looking at engaging with the community you first have to understand who that community is and it's huge. And it's not just Exeter. It's you know, funders in London. It's students who come down from Barnstable every day. It's people like Great Western Rail who send loads of trainees down to Exeter for, for the specialist courses that they offer here. So it's not just parents and students and staff who are hugely important, of course, but it's such a variety of stakeholders. And they all need to understand how the college benefits them, how they benefit the college. It's it's massive uh, and great fun to break that down and work out the best way of getting to all those stakeholders and getting to understand how they can play a part in the college's future. And Steve, for, for you, what has been the benefit when working on the master plan of using 
external comm specialist to help you communicate that vision and as Andrew said identify who needs to know and what they need to know and and why. I think from my perspective having Andrew and the team from CORE on board with us when we first embarked on the master plan is really important because you might say I I would know the college estate, I know the college buildings, um, colleagues would know the curriculum inside out etc. Having that external vision of you know who we might think of as our stakeholders and being able to help guide us in the ways to communicate with people and the ways to engage with our local residents who are close by, the businesses that we interact with and others we may not even have thought of. To have that tested, tried and tested way of communicating and how to reach out to people to get that proper consultation. From my perspective, when we first embarked on the master plan, having that community engagement right from the start was very important. We are a city centre college predominantly. You know, most of our sort of, the biggest sort of conurbation of students is within the city centre. So it was really important for us to stay here. That was a key strategic decision we took sort of years ago. A lot of it around that green travel and transport links and everything else. And for the experience the students get in the city. You know, it's a it's a big draw for students to come to the, the city and spend time there with their friends, right? socially and things. It's not just about coming to the college, it's also about exploring the city and, and uh, spending time there. So that was one of the reasons we wanted to stay here. But engaging with the community early on in the process so that we could help use the feedback and the and the thoughts and the views from our whether it was a you know key strategic partners to the local businesses around us to the local residents etc really important to gather those views and and put them in the melting pot of a master planning process it really helps influence the shape and form of buildings and how you might think about placing them on the site, what orientation they might have, what build height you might want to go to and what you can reasonably achieve. It is, I think it's always a balancing act as well because you know there may be an ambition. We've got a nine-storey tower block at the moment on our Hill Road campus. I don't think that you know, in terms of master planning, you would ever replicate that again in this type of location. We're in a conservation area, we're surrounded by listed buildings. We have listed buildings on site ourselves. Whether we would ever want to replicate a nine-storey tower block, uh, you know, is a question. So that's one of the reasons for that engagement process, to test all those things out and make sure that what we propose as a potential solution through the master plan process has as far as possible listened to all those views and adapted what we're what we're thinking about and what we're trying to deliver to reflect that kind of feedback and views from whether it's around green travel and transport and cycling to height and massing and scale and actually what the buildings look like, the architectural treatments, the elevational treatments, how they look and feel and how they sit in the environment. It's really important, well, really important for me as director and uh, of estates and stuff. It's really important to me, but it's also really important to the community and the local residents about how we sit in the landscape that they live in uh, and they operate in as businesses. As a process, if you like, when embarking on a master plan like this, how hard is it to, to know where to start and to build that team? So, as you said, you're the expert in this campus. Your colleagues know the curriculum in terms of what the buildings need to look like and how they need to function. And then you bring in an architect to help with that. And then you bring in a comms team to help with the engagement. It's a lot to manage as a process. 
It is. Uh, it is when you start breaking it down like that, as you might not think about it uh, like that as you're launching into it. And I tend to kind of take things in bite-sized chunks, you know. But it is a lot to sort of coordinate and bring together. But I think it's really important. You spend the time kind of working it up as a bit of a strategy. You spend the time engaging with other kind of experts, be they architects or structural designers or mechanical electrical designers, when we're thinking about environmental credentials for buildings. You know, it's really important that we get the environment right for people who will be in the buildings, but also about reducing our carbon footprint. Carbon footprint obviously just isn't about the travel and things like that. It's actually about the way that the buildings operate and how we can manage and maintain them key part of that is how we actually build them in the first place so it's engaging with with others from across the the sort of specialisms right across the kind of region and the sector to make sure that we bring in the best team possible and sometimes it's you know it's quite difficult in terms of taking the time because we all uh, operate at deadlines and we've all got sort of targets and things like that that you're trying to meet but it's really important to take that time in the early stages to put the right team in place that can support and and help deliver. And Andrew, when we embark on any engagement with stakeholders, whether it be a 20-year master plan or a development project, the value of doing that early on and doing it well is unbelievable, isn't it? We see that people, you know, get their projects across the line quicker because they've consulted well. Yeah, it's it's about setting your stall out to the public so they understand where you're coming from. And, and being in charge of your own story, we often say this, if someone else picks up something from somewhere else, an agenda or something on Facebook that, that isn't right in the first place. You can suddenly start to find yourself up against barriers that have been built by other people. Whereas if you've got your own messages out there in the right order at the right time, so people have time to digest it and understand it, and you're, you're operating in a two-way communications, so you, you're always open to say, well, come and get in touch if you've got any queries. Then you just build up a rapport with the neighbours rather than someone else building barriers for you. And that's that's just really, really key, to, to get those key messages understood by everyone involved in the, in, the, in the project and then spread them out so the community understands exactly why you're doing it. Make people understand why you're doing something. They're less concerned about the nitty-gritty minor impacts that often cause the biggest angst for, for councils and developers. And when councils understand that you've listened to the community, you've taken on board what they've said, you've made changes where it's appropriate, they're much more happy to say, well, actually, no, they know what they're talking about. They've done the right thing. It's a good application and we're perfectly happy with it because they've dealt with all the, all the issues already. I think the last time we were on a planning committee was uh, changes to the playing fields which is quite interesting because the city council actually owns the playing fields in a lease to the college and the city council was making a decision on the planning application. But they really understood the reasons for these upgrades to the pitches, the 3G for the rugby in particular. And, and they were so pleased to see that things had been taken on board and they understood the outcome would be really beneficial for the city, for their voters. So they were really happy to approve that and I'm pretty sure that was one of our unanimous tick boxes, which, which we always like to see. Do you think the challenge for Steve and other education establishments is that perhaps there's a misconception among local communities that what they do is only for the benefit of students? And so part of that engagement and effective communication is about making local communities realise how they benefit as well. 
Absolutely. And, and there's some straightforward ones. Steve was saying the students like to spend time in, in the city centre with their friends. And there's that economic benefit. And there's a bit of vibrancy as well that, that comes to the city from having young people in. And it's not just young people. Pretty much anybody in Exeter could find a course to do at the college at some point. And whether that's that's just for their own enjoyment, whether that's for, for career advancement opportunities, there's, there's a lot goes on. So, you know, the, the students from the college can be 15, 16, up to 60, 70, 80. And that's just a massive benefit to the whole city already, isn't it? Yeah. But it is, it is a resource for the city. You know, it's not an A-level college, does A-levels, does an awful lot of stuff just as well. And that's testament, I think, to, to the college itself. And that's been, been recognised by two outstandings in a row from Ofsted, which, which also helps the college in, it, in its growth. The other thing to talk about, Steve, is is funding here. So your funding model is really quite different to private companies or maybe some of the rural estates that we work with in that you can get central government grants, and particularly because you are rated outstanding by Ofsted, um, you know, that gives you access to, to more grants. But I suppose, although that's a huge opportunity in terms of what's available to you, does that pose challenges as well in terms of putting deadlines on things that you can apply for and then achieve with that money yeah it certainly puts challenges there as well yes it's a great benefit in some respects but it's also quite challenging in terms of master planning you know if you don't know you've got funding um, then the master planning uh, and the vision can be there uh, about the sort of the scale and, and what you would like to build but the timeline for then developing refurbishing and replacing facilities and buildings you can't really set a timeline on it without a known sort of funding income stream. It's very difficult to then put a timeline to it. So you're then looking at when the funding opportunities open up, then you put in the bid, uh, you, you start writing sort of bidding uh, documentation, supplying the, the designs and ensuring that all of that feedback and the, uh, that we've received through, say, the planning process, the community engagement uh, we feed all of that into the application process. But it, it's maybe not as smooth as I'd like it to be because if you have a very clear kind of uh, investment timeline, it allows you to plan the timing of the works uh, in a much more coherent and kind of linear way. Uh, whereas at the moment, it's sort of one project funding, next project funding. It maybe looks a little bit stop-stop, but, uh, you know, I think it's something we've been quite successful at navigating over the years. You know, we are a growing college. We're Ofsted Outstanding. That allowed us to uh, access some funding or, or allowed us to bid for some funding that ultimately we were successful on. And that has allowed us to then invest in the developments at Flowerpots that we talked about earlier. The new changing rooms, new classrooms, new uh, 3G facilities are all backed by that funding. Uh, and the only reason we could access that funding is because we had a master plan in place. It was approved by our governing body. It was sort of relevant and current. We are Ofsted outstanding and we're growing. Um, and all those criteria have had to be met before you could even bid for the funding, let alone then deliver. So that's where we're now on sort of delivery stage now, hopefully. And uh, yeah, it's great to be able to tap into that funding and, and deliver projects such as the, the improvements done at Flowerpots. Andrew, that in itself, I mean, as Steve says, it's fantastic to be able to access and bid for and get that money. 
But I know one of the things when we run any kind of development consultation or engagement event, people want to know when, when, when's this going to happen? So yeah. as Steve said, with the, the bidding process and, and the timeline being uncertain, that poses communications challenges. It does. And it's probably the second most common question you get asked at a consultation. When will it start? And I've given up trying to uh, try, trying to guess. And I always tell people, I don't know. It's, a, it's an elastic bit of string. So how, uh, how long is that? Because there's so many external factors involved in, in any major development project, let alone a 20-year master plan, where uh, you know there's no point guessing. You can sit down with someone and have a chat and say, these are the processes it goes through. These are how long each one may or may not take. There may be a gap between each. We don't know. Andrew Howard from CORE and Steve Strang from Exeter College, thank you for joining us on Estate Matters. If your urban estate, in an education setting or otherwise, would benefit from the specialist engagement and consultation support we've discussed, please contact us via our website, corepr.co.uk. Music.